Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is November 1st, 2019. Here is some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. The GDP, gross domestic product numbers, came in for August. And nothing exciting. Canada's economy grew at 0.1% in August. Now that fell a little short of, so that means GDP rose by 0.1%. It fell a little short of what the experts were expecting. And they were expecting growth of 0.2%, but honestly, growth is growth. Um, It was really bolstered by yeah, good producing industries were up by 0.2%, led by manufacturing. And service industries were up 0.1%. 14 out of 20 industries grew in August. So Canada's you know, as of August, Canada's doing all right. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe a recession is, a technical recession is when there has been GDP retraction. So if the GDP shrinks for three quarters in a row, so that would be nine months. And if it was flat in July, I think it shrank at the beginning of the year a little bit. It was flat in July and then um, rose in August. So we'll see what September has to say, you know, end of November. We'll see what September and October were like. I know the GM strike will have an effect. Um, there's a whole, bother, a whole bunch of other factors on this one so it's good news i think it's not crazy exciting news but it's good news the this morning we're going to read i'm going to read an article from the vancouver sun too many barriers to building rental apartments analysts say in vancouver michael Ferreira, managing principal with Urban Analytics, says there were a total of 7,012 purpose-built rental apartment units completed in the region from 2017 to 2019. There are another 6,800 units being planned for or contemplated by developers. To compare, Seattle added 17,450 new purpose-built rental units last year alone. Ferreira told Post Media that after presenting his data at an Urban Development Institute event in Vancouver on October 16th, there are not enough new rental units getting built because there are too many obstacles for developers, he said. That includes opposition to projects from the public, but also just how difficult municipal planning departments are making it for developers to get projects approved. 
he added that Vancouver's sizable inventory of privately owned condos do provide a considerable amount of rental homes, but it's not enough. The region continues to have a vacancy rental vacancy rate of just 1%, which is if that's an exact if that's an exact 1%, um, it's, uh, it's slightly lower than Toronto, which is 1.1. Ferreira said that sources of demand for rental apartments are going to evolve and grow. We basically, we have basically almost 100,000 study permit holders from around the world in Metro Vancouver, he said. Not all of them rent traditional, typical rental products, but a good portion of them do. Ferreira also cited surveys by GWL Realty Advisors that polled local residents at least 55 years old without school-aged kids at home. The survey asked them if they would consider renting a future downsized home. They did the same survey back in 2011, and back then only 10% said they would consider a rental home, he said. This time around, when they did the study uh, last year, 36% said yes they would consider renting, and another 23% said they might consider renting. He said new employment in that region will, be, will also be a factor. There's currently about 4 million square feet of office space under construction in Vancouver's downtown core, almost 60% of which is already pre-leased, he said, adding that 70% of the tenants will be new entries to the market. Those new workers are going to need homes, and many will be in the rental market, he said. Various government taxes and policies since 2016 have not resulted in the development of enough rentable homes, he said. Among those are the former BC Liberal government's foreign buyers tax in 2016, the speculation and vacancy tax introduced by the NDP government in 2018, the City of Vancouver's empty homes tax in 2017, the federal government's mortgage stress test in 2018, and the BC government's 30-point plan to increase protections for renters, including a cap on annual rental rate increase of 2.6% for 2020. These policies have mainly tamped down local home prices and sales figures, while also generating new revenues for governments without spurring more rental development, he said. Overall, New housing development of all kinds is being blocked by perfection paralysis by planners, Ferreira said. They are paying too much attention to small details rather than focusing on overall goal and overall goal of making it easier for home builders to deal with our looming rental crisis. The point that really stuck out to me was the GWL Realty Advisors survey and how more people are considering more people over 55 are considering downsizing and renting instead of buying downsizing and buying and I've actually some of the investor groups that I'm a part of, I've asked people about this, renting versus owning, and it's 
a fairly common move in expensive markets, in high-priced markets. And especially with people who are downsizing, whose children have all gone to university now. They sell the family home, which they've held for 20 years, if not more. Make bank, rent something smaller, and invest. Spread that down the what they, the profit they make on the sale, into investment properties, which I think is just freaking genius, honestly. So, and then obviously skipping, that was a point that stuck out. I'll come back to that. The one thing that really that obviously stuck out to me first is this idea that we still there's still this outcry for more rental units. We are not meeting, Vancouver is not meeting the demand. Now this article, what I like about this article, it gives a, it gives a few more specific reasons. It talks about little help from government regulation, like a lot of it has had to do with house prices, retail prices rather than rental, uh, making it easier to build rental units. And, it, and then it mentions um, municipal blocks obviously public blocks, but you're always going to have pushback from communities. Change like that, bringing in higher density rental units, especially in tr neighborhoods that are traditionally single family homes, you're going to get pushback and developers just need to be good at negotiating with communities, which um, I think Ottawa, that the developer uh, regional group in Ottawa is doing an, an, a really good job in the old Ottawa East neighborhood with their development there. A good example of negotiating with the community. But now we hear about municipal blocks. It's, there, a lot of municipalities aren't making it easy enough to densify and to sub, create supply. And then uh, specifically city planners are getting fixated on details that are making it trickier for developers to uh, meet their demands, meet their standards. And you know that that opens up a whole other can of worms. What are developers trying to do that planners don't like? But planners are trying to design cities that are attractive, that people want to live in and that support a broad base of demographics. So they, so with that in mind, are planners bringing plans to the table that are matching what planners want? I'd love to hear from you. If you're a, if you're a developer, if you know a developer, send this episode to them. Uh, I, I would love their feedback. What are the roadblocks? How are you getting around them? Or are you just stunt, stumped? Or can you, is it just easier to build condo units in suburban developments rather than purpose-built rental units? What's the story? What's your story been like? Email me, recoffee at joelart.ca. So that's recoffee at 
J-O-E-L-A-R-N-D-T dot C-A. And I'd love to, I'd love to actually have you on the, on the podcast. I'd love to have you on Real Estate and Coffee. Talk about your experience, some of your triumphs, some of your struggles, what you need to see, what needs to happen for you to do business, make it easier for you to do business. And are you doing purpose-built rental units? Why not? If you aren't, why not? If you are, why are you doing mixed use? It's another big thing. That's a thing that I think planners want and that developers may hesitate on is are building mixed use projects. So back to the rent versus own. It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Should a particularly should a first time home buyer rent or own? Because a first time home buyer who buys a house buys Sure, they buy an asset, but really they're buying a liability. It's a ton of cost, not producing any income for them. It's an asset on paper, but in on their in their bank book and their month-to-month finances, it's not providing them any cash. In fact, it's a liability. They're paying out. Now, they're paying into mortgage principal. Sure and they're upkeeping a, a tangible asset, sure. Whereas if you rent, not happening. Here's my argument. Here's my, not argument, but like my thought process. And this depends on the market you're in. In Southern Ontario, for the most part, anywhere near Toronto, I don't think first-time home buyers are really benefited by when if they buy their first home as a primary residence. I think they'd be much better suited to rent, find find a good deal on rent, or just not just rent. I mean, it'd be sweet if you could find a good deal on rent, but we found a good, I found a good deal on rent. Rent, buy an income property that cash flows and accelerate your trajectory to a, a rental portfolio an investment port, a real estate investment portfolio that, you know, gets you closer to financial independence. And so your first, now the trick is if you're a lot of first time home buyers don't have the 20% down payment necessary, especially in higher priced markets. And that's where, you know, if you're moving into a house, you can qualify for 5% down instead of 20% down. And it makes it a lot easier to get in. If you can afford the down payment, 20% down on a rental property, I think that's the best option. Something that cash flows, a duplex at least, 
if not a, a three or four plex. And if I'm thinking of families too, like um, rent, keep, keep renting the space you're in, right? maybe rent a slightly bigger space and your rental property, property could be paying off its own mortgage plus your rent, depending on how big you go. Or you could just leave it in an account, let it, let the cash build up. Because I mean, if it took you, however long it took you to save the amount of money by working and renting, and now you're working and stashing cash flow, you've just multiplied your, you severely compressed your timeline to saving up another down payment. And then there's also joint ventures and stuff like that. Now, you could, if, if you're a family, you could find a duplex, rent out one unit, so that you're first buy a duplex, rent out one unit, so that, and live in the other. So you still qualify for the 5%, and someone is helping you pay down your mortgage. So your home, your first home is now a is, is now an actually an asset. It's putting money in your bank account or it's li uh, lifting the financial burden, your financial burden. What's even sweeter is if you're single. I was just running through the numbers with my brother on this um, earlier this week. Now he's in a market. It makes way more sense to buy. The rents are much higher than mortgages, much higher. And so for him to buy a house, a three or four bedroom house, particularly a four bedroom, if you could find a four bedroom house at a decent price, an average price, pay even 10% down or five, rent out, live in one room, rent out the other rooms. We calculated he'd be cash flowing at least $300 on his primary residence at 5% down. Now he's in a sweet market, even in a market like Hamilton. You may not be paying off your mortgage fully, but it's lightening that financial burden. So if you can, if your job can support the, and this is, this is the ideal, like this is, this is the only real way you should do it. Make the purchase if you could buy it anyway. And if you could service the debt alone, don't make it. If you can't, don't do that. Don't make the purchase. If you can't service the debt alone. I guess there's an argument against that too, but the wise conservative play would be to only make the purchase if you can service that, that debt alone. Rent out rooms, continue to service the debt yourself and stash the cash flow. And it accelerates your saving process. I mean, it's all math in the beginning. It just makes more sense.
I think no matter what market you're in, if you can buy and rent out, rent something out, a portion of the, the home out, you're always in a better position, always. That's something that Grant Cardone actually talks about a lot. Um, not a lot, often though. Uh, he talks about renting versus ownership. He said he, his whole thing is own nothing, lease and rent everything because you don't have responsibility for it, all the maintenance then. And he's, and he's surprised expenses generally fall on the owner's shoulders and not on the renters or the leasers, leasees, whatever. I'm looking forward to seeing Grant on uh, November 9th, nine days away. I'm looking forward to seeing him. That, that's going to be, he's going to be talking about building wealth. Uh, it's going to be good. I'm also looking forward to hearing about um, apartment investing. It's something that I've been very interested in. Pierre Paul Turgeon is going to be there talking about investing in apartments. He's an, he used to be a CMHC underwriter. And then he started building a portfolio of apartments on his own and He's been doing it for decades now. So he's going to be talking about his strategy and how he approaches deals. Not, I'm looking forward to that. Also, Tominic Carazza, um, Marianne Gillespie, they're talking about building businesses from the ground up. That is something I'm also very interested in. There's a bunch of, there, there's a, there's, that's only a fraction of the, the speakers. There's a whole slew of other speakers that are going to be at the Wealth Hacker Conference on November 9th. Uh, and then I'm, I'm really looking forward to the networking and just meeting other people who are very, very interested, if not obsessed, with hacking the traditional routes to wealth. I don't think we can get by on the typical American dream anymore. I don't think we can just work and hope that whatever we're contributing to, even company, you know, company pension plans... Um, our shared RRSPs, what is that, when they contribute to our, an RRSP as well. Like, I don't think we can bank on that and anymore. I've never, it's never been appealing to me. I don't think it was ever an option for my generation, really, legitimately, if we want to have a comfortable retirement. But honestly, I'm not looking for a comfortable retirement. I'm looking, I, I want independence, but that's, the values are definitely shifting, but the the economy is shifting. Like it's just so different. Work is different. So multiple streams of income have always been the way to go, and but even more so now. If you don't have multiple streams of income, if you only have one job, you are at risk. Uh, you think it's risky to start a business? Try leaning on one company. What happens when that company folds or just doesn't think that you're useful enough anymore and lays off a slew of workers, you're part of that batch. Like that happens a lot. We need to start creating multiple streams of income as an instinct. Hacking the traditional routes to wealth. So if you're interested in the Wealth Hacker Conference, go to wealthhacker.ca. There are three ticket options, VIP right on down to a general admission ticket. If you want some help on the ticket, 10% off, 
use the discount code REALWEALTH. So wealthhacker.ca, pick your ticket, enter promo code REALWEALTH, all one word. And then let me know that you're coming. Email me and let me know you're coming. Let's, let's, let's pick a time to meet while we're there. I'm bringing my buddy William, gonna be carpooling. This is something, it's, it's not a conference. I mean, stuff's gonna be sold there, but it's not a conference for just for like sales pitches. Like it, it's, it's to get your head spinning in the right direction towards financial independence. And this is something that you, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your best friend, we all need this. And if you don't know where to start, if, you, if you've thought about this for a long time and you just don't even know where to start, this is where you start. And just absorb. All right, I've gone too long. It's a Friday, have a good day.